up in verse 19. I'll tell you, I want to finish the chapter. That's all I'm going to say. I want to finish the chapter. But I'm also open to the direction that hopefully God's Spirit takes us every time as well. So let's open in a word of prayer. Lord, we're grateful for a time of worshiping you, a time of fellowshipping with the family of God. And, and Lord, we look forward to the, the things that your word speaks to our hearts, Lord. And uh, it, it is alive, it is powerful, and your Holy Spirit is working in our lives on a daily basis. And Lord, we just yield to the working of your spirit. And Lord, we just hunger and desire to hear the things that you would speak to us through your word this morning. And it's in your mighty name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen. So where we left off and where we're at, actually, it's interesting. I just, I'm laughing at myself. You know, I can cover a whole chapter. And even then, there are pastors that cover five chapters, you know, ten chapters. They can do that in a study. They can, they can do a survey or, again, to kind of a great overview I just, I just like to dig into God's Word, and typically on a Sunday morning, I like to cover a chapter or so, but it seems like when we got to this chapter, it's like there's these exhortations at the end that I just feel need some attention, because even though they're intended to Paul's audience to address things that are common in churches and to believers, again, too, you can read them and just simply you know, read it in one word, verse 19 is where we're at, quench not the spirit, and just simply move on. But I don't want to do that. I want to give it its diligence, and, and again, to kind of pull out or give us an understanding of what God's word is telling us here. So I'll just read verse 19. It says, quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearances of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle or this letter be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So where we're at in these exhortations is where Paul says to the church, quench not the spirit. Quench not the spirit. You know, I, I think even as a, just kind of thinking about this, in the NIV it actually doesn't use the word quench, but it says do not put out the spirit's fire. And I like that because the Greek word that's used here for quench is always used in the scripture in conjunction or referring to a fire. And I'll read some of the passages that it's used in. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 20, it's speaking of Jesus, and it says, A bruised reed he shall not break, and smoking flax he will not quench till he send forth his judgment unto victory. Uh, smoking flax he will not quench. It's like walking along and seeing some smoldering embers and again, too, it's speaking of how gentle Jesus is and that he's not going to just extinguish that. Matthew chapter 25, verse 8, in the parable of the, the virgins, the wise and the foolish virgins, the foolish that had not brought oil with them, 
say to the wise, give us of your oil that our lamps are not gone out. That gone out is the same word for quench in the Greek. In Matthew chapter 9, there's actually three occasions in which it's used. And basically what Jesus is saying is, is it better to get rid of things that are a stumbling or that cause us to offend than to burn in hell where the fires are never quenched. If your hand offends you, cut it off. It's better to enter into life maimed than to having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm dies not and their fire is not quenched. And it says the same thing about your foot. It says the same thing about your eye. Quenched. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, the word is used in the same place where it talks about taking up the shield of faith. And it says where we would be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And so this word, every time it's used, and I might as well, since I already read all these other references, I'll read the last one other than what we've got in front of us here. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 34, it is speaking of the hall of fame of faith, of those that, again, to lived a faithful life. And it's summarizing at the end of chapter 11 of Hebrews these different things that they did. And it says in verse 34 that they quenched the violence of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. They waxed valiant in fight, and they turned to flight the armies of the aliens. So every time this word is used, it's speaking of fire. And it got me to thinking, well, you know, that's exactly what happens when a person comes into a relationship with God. There is a fire that begins, that's kindled in our hearts. And it doesn't say, you know, start this fire, this work of the Spirit in your life, and then maintain it. It assumes, in a sense, that that fire is there, that that, again, too, even as I think about it, and I think it's probably referring to even a passion, a passion for a number of things, a passion for the work that the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in the church or in our lives. I think so many times it's easy to kind of get set into particular routines and traditions, and churches are notorious for that, and we have even, and again, it's not that all tradition and routines are bad, but the, the danger is, is getting locked into those things and not allowing the Spirit of God to do the work that He is wanting to do. But I think also, too, it speaks of the importance of not quenching the Word, the Word of God that the Holy Spirit is wanting to communicate to the church that God is still working through His Word. And when you look at verses 19, 20, and 21, they seem to be tied together because Paul says, quench not the Spirit, despise not prophesying, and he says, then prove all things and hold fast that which is good. And it seems that there is a working together of God's Holy Spirit with the speaking forth of God's Word, but there is some safeguards that are there. Because again, too, you just don't take everything that someone says for granted just because he says, thus saith the Lord, or the Spirit of God showed me this, and you hold it as truth. No, there is a proving or a testing of those things, but I'll get to that in a, in a minute, as it says there in verse 21. Quench not the Spirit. At the same time, I think that this can be used to basically allow a person to do anything that they want. 
you know, if a person does something crazy or wacky and they can say, well, you know, the Spirit of God told me to do that. Well, I don't think you should be doing that. Well, you're just quenching the Spirit, brother. I mean, there have been times that, again, as a pastor, I've had to either set boundaries or limits or whatever, and, and sometimes people will, will, will say to me, you're quenching the Spirit. And again, there's a fine line for me. I mean, I think, you know, where is it that, you know, the Spirit of God is working and, and, and you know, we're allowing the Holy Spirit to do that work? Or where is it that people are using, again, to, to say that the Holy Spirit is showing me to do something and if we don't do this, then we're quenching the Spirit? And I think that there are some safeguards in the, in the Scripture, and I'll, I'll bring them up in a second. But one of the things I will say is that whenever the Spirit of God is working, He is working to accomplish something. In Isaiah chapter 61, Isaiah quotes or writes this, but then Jesus is going to quote this in Luke chapter 4 when He begins His public ministry. I, I love this because, again, too, so many times we don't stop and just simply meditate, think about God's Word and how it unfolds and the truths that are there. But it says in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. And, and now I want you to see that the things that are mentioned. It doesn't say, and again, too, you would think by going to some churches today or watching the television today, that the only thing that the Holy Spirit does in a person's life is make them do wacky things. You know, barking and jumping and, and speak. I mean, and again, too, I believe in the, gift, the exercise of the gift of tongues. But again, too, you would think that the, there have been some of these guys on television that just, they almost even use it as if it's a language that they could talk to themselves between. I saw these two guys one time. I think Aaron Hostetti's the one that kind of he gave me a link, and I looked it up at these two guys. And they're like having this conversation like, and like they're talking to each other in tongues. And you know what? What does the scripture say? He that speaks in, in tongues, his understanding is unfruitful, but he is speaking to God. The exercise of the gift of tongues is not something that is man-directed, but is God-directed. So again, to just kind of getting off that particular rabbit trail for a minute. And the thing I'll say is that the purpose of the Spirit of God is to accomplish ministry. The purpose for the work of the Spirit of God is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. And again, too, the purpose for the work of the Spirit of God is to edify and to build up the church. If it isn't doing that, then I would question whether or not it really is the Spirit of God or whether or not a person is just saying that and getting back to Isaiah chapter 61, he says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. And again, I could just say bark or speak, you know, act crazy. But people getting slain in the Spirit, all these different things that, again, to people attribute to the Spirit of God. But it doesn't say any of those things. To preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. See, I think that there is a danger, getting back to the 
legitimate exhortation that the Apostle Paul is giving here, why would he even say that? Why would you say that to a believer? Why would you say that to a church? Because, again, too, and I think, too, the church has done this because they have seen abuses of what people will say, that was the Spirit of God that caused me to do this. And I've told my story before about Jeff, who wanted to dance at our Bible study, and told me that the Spirit of God would come upon him and he wanted to dance at our house and if we didn't let him dance, he was going to hurt somebody. And I said, that's not the Spirit. Okay? That's just not the Spirit. You can say it's the Spirit all you want. That's not the Spirit. That's just me saying, I want to do what I want to do. But I'm going to say it's the Spirit. How do you fight against that? How do you argue against that when you say it's God? You're playing the God card. I'm playing, the Spirit is telling me to do this card. And yet it's interesting, and I'll get to verse 21 in a minute, but you know, I, I love the fact that there are safeguards in the, in the Scripture. But again, I think this is in response to maybe those that would abuse the work of the Spirit or even in response to those whose hearts would grow either hardened or just simply with the course of time, they just get, again, to, you know, they, they just get weary of even to the spiritual battle that comes. And, and, and again, to what's easy? It's easy to get into routines. It's easy to have a structure. It's easy to do things a particular way and just simply say, that's the way we always do things, instead of being constantly open to the Spirit's work, not only in our lives, but in the church, but again to the things that the Spirit of God is wanting to speak or to communicate to us. You know, one thing I will say is, uh, I'll mention a number of things that I believe genuinely confirm that it is the Spirit of God that is working. And the first thing is, you know, it will testify. If it is the Spirit of God that is working, it is the, the Spirit's desire is to testify of Jesus. Jesus says this in John chapter 16, verse 7, where he speaks of the Comforter that is to come. He says in verse 7 of John 16, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, that it is, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And he... When he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go unto my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judge. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of himself but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and will show it unto you. A work of the Spirit that is genuine is a work that, in a sense, is testifying of Jesus. And again, too, I think that there are churches that have gotten, they're quenching the Spirit in that they don't necessarily want to talk about Jesus in particular. They want to make things as appealing to the broadest audience as possible so they will not talk about Jesus. The other thing that the Spirit will not do is the Spirit will not contradict what the Word of God says. And there is to be a testing of those things. 
in 1 Corinthians, and we went through this in chapter 14, where Paul is talking about spiritual gifts, and he's actually in chapter 14 making, in a sense, a, a comparison between the exercise of the gift of tongues and the exercise of the gift of prophesying or of prophecy. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 29, Let the prophets speak two or three, and let the others judge. And if anything be revealed unto the other that sits by, let him hold his peace. For you may all prophesy one by one, that you may all learn and may be comforted. The spirit of the prophets is subject unto the prophets, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace in all the churches of the saints. I mean, that's another one, too, that you could say, if it's confusing and yet you say that you're attributing to the spirit, God's word says that God isn't the author of confusion. Another thing, Deuteronomy chapter 18 talks about that if it's something that the Spirit says is going to come to pass or use a prophet to, to say that, then if it doesn't come to pass, that's not the Spirit of God. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18, again to God is communicating to His people as Moses' life is, in a sense, he's accomplishing what he's going to do but again, too, the Lord is actually talking about the day when His Son Jesus will come, but He's also talking about the importance of listening to or obeying the prophets. He says in, in verse 18 of Deuteronomy 18, I'll raise up to them a prophet from among their brethren like unto you, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I command him. Verse 19, And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words which I shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet which will presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if you shall say in your heart, I love this, how shall we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? You know, how do we discern? How can we tell? I think sometimes, again, too, people, especially in the church, Christians can either A, be so gullible, or B, they're so fearful. Because there are those that have abused the authority of the power, and they basically say, if you question anything that I have, then you're touching the Lord's anointed, and, and you can't do that. And, and again, too, they, just, they just want you to, to believe anything that they say just because either they're a pastor or have the title of a prophet or whatever. But the Lord is saying, you know, okay, if someone, if God's saying you need to obey my prophets, but then he's also bringing up the fact that you can ask the question, how will I know that it's really a prophet? How will we know the difference between one or the other? And he says in verse 22, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken, but that prophet has spoken it presumptuously, you shall not be afraid of him. Matter of fact, the scripture is going to go on to say that those prophets that prophesy falsely, they're to be stoned or put to death. I, I wonder how many prophets would be willing to put themselves, uh, you know, under that, that something that they say is the Lord or thus says the Lord, and if it doesn't come to pass or agree with scripture, that they'd be willing to lay their lives on the line for something that, that again, too, you know, they're saying is the Lord or the Spirit of the Lord working. You know, Hebrews, again, there's a lot of scripture that came to my mind as I was preparing this. And this is something, too, again, I, I want the, the Spirit of God to work in my heart. 
I want the Spirit of God to work in the church. And at the same time, there are safeguards against that. But so many times as Christians, there's a, a lack of discernment. And as you mature in the Lord, as you are knowledgeable in the Scripture, comes that ability to discern really what is the Spirit and what isn't the Spirit. But the things that are the Spirit, those are the things, those are the passions, those are the, the thing that God wants to, to work within us as a church, but also us as believers. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13 says, Everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but strong meat, speaking the meat of God's word, belongs to them that are of full age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I think one of the things that to me distinguishes a work of the Spirit of God or a work of the flesh or even of the pit of hell is the peace that comes with it. John chapter 14, verse 25. Jesus says, These things have I spoken unto you, yet being present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And then he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I think he's actually talking about not only his peace, but the peace that will come by the Comforter of the Holy Spirit coming as well. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be careful for nothing, or don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Quench not the Spirit. Quench not the Spirit. That fire that God has kindled when you get saved, don't put it out or don't allow it to go out. I think that that's the danger, even to, if I want to, and I don't want to call it the institution of the church because the church is something that is alive. The body, you know, the Bible refers to it in that way. We're made up of living stones. There are spiritual gifts that, again, to the, the church is pictured as a body that has different gifts which are given by the Spirit of God and that are working together in concert to build and to edify the body up. But there are times and things that are fighting against the work that the Spirit is wanting to do in our midst. Quench not the Spirit. Allow the Spirit of God to work. Allow the, God, the Spirit of God to work that passion, that fire that was once kindled in our hearts. And again, I don't know about you, but when I first got saved, I just could not wait not only to read God's Word every day, but I couldn't wait to come to church. I couldn't wait to worship. I couldn't wait to be with the saints. I couldn't wait, again, to experience all those things that the Spirit of God works in the body of Christ. 
And I think at times when maybe like the church at Ephesus in the book of Revelation that leaves their first love, I think at times we need to be reminded of that work that God first did in our hearts and even renewed in those things. I know for me there are certain things that, that do that. Uh, again, too, some of it is I've got either cassettes or I've got MP3s of previous pastor's conferences or Bible studies that I used to listen to when I first got saved. And some of those things, they, they just like, I go back to those things just for the, the truth that they imparted or, or the, thing that, the, the things that God taught me through that or the lessons in God's Word. And it puts me back in some of those times where, again, you know, even when you're beginning in the ministry, it's just like you just don't know. It's just so daunting, you know, uh, to, to start a Bible study and are people going to come and then to pray and then to, and then to prepare a Bible study. I used to, not anymore, I used to be a nervous wreck all the time. I, had, I couldn't go to sleep on a Saturday night. I'd be up till 1 or 2 in the morning worrying about the Bible study. And, and all week I've been studying and I'm just looking through commentaries and cross-referencing and, and praying and just, and just begging, oh Lord, please, please give me something to teach, give me something to teach. And, and just being just a wreck. Sunday morning getting up, a lot of times on a Sunday morning I'm getting up and I've only had like three or four hours of sleep and then I would get up to teach and it would be just terrible. <laughs> it would be. I was well prepared. The spirit was willing, but my flesh, it was weak. I didn't get enough sleep. And my brain couldn't even track with my own notes or things that I taught. And, and there are times that again, too, the Lord just began to, through His Holy Spirit, began to just kind of tell me, study. You get to sleep at a decent hour. You know, don't worry. You know, just trust what the Word of God already says and teach those truths. And as you, again, too, the more you do it, the more you begin to learn and lean and cling to the Spirit. And yes, on the one hand, I love those, those desperate times of hanging on to the Lord and this, relying upon the Spirit. And I think in some ways I still do that but I'm not worried about it anymore. My wife, she used to worry, she used to worry about it for me. You know, she, she would, and I don't say this in a bad way, but you know, for me, the preparation of a message is more like the mixing of an ingredients in a recipe. On the one hand, you can follow it, you know, and in another way, it can be just be very kind of fluid and organic and, and you see these cooks or chefs on these TV shows where I mean they don't measure things you just take a, a spice of this and a little of that and, and a butter and this and then and they just mix it together they've learned to do it they, they follow a recipe yes but at the same time they've learned to do it in a way that again they've become so familiar with it and they know what works, they know what doesn't work. And for me, many times the preparation or ministry is, is a lot like that. And for me, it is a, a trusting in the Spirit. I can still get worried. I still can. There are times where I just simply, I'm just so worried about what I'm going to say. And even as I've gotten older, the thing I've found is my mind and my memory is not as sharp as it used to be. And in some ways, I feel like I have to trust the Spirit even more. And there are times that I leave the pulpit 
And I'm so grateful for the ways in which God's word and his truths have come out because I know it's not me. I know it's the Lord. And again, too, I can't take credit for that. I'm humbled at times when people say, oh, Pastor Mike, thank you for that, or that really ministered to me. And, and I just say thank you. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be, oh, well, praise the Lord. You know, I just, and sometimes that sounds so, you know, that's what you should say. I should just give glory to God. Well, you know what? I, I hope that you understand I want to give glory to God for the working of His Spirit. And if at any time, you know, I take credit for it, then God has a way of humbling you. And there are times, too, that I just feel like, oh, that was, again, too, this is what pastors think about. You know, there's three messages. It's been said there are three messages that a pastor will give on a Sunday morning. The message that he gives as he is in preparation or driving on the way to church the message that he gives to the people on a Sunday morning and the message that he gives as he's driving home on his way home from church because then you start thinking, I wish I'd have said this. I wish I would have done that. Why didn't I remember this? And, and all these different things. I mean, it is such a weird thing to get up day in and day out, week in and week out, year in and year out. And I've been doing this now for, for over 28 years. And for me, it is still fresh. Because it's not a routine for me. It is that passion, that fire that still burns in my heart for the Lord. Sometimes I've seen over the years men or women that God wants to use in ministry. And I'm grateful for the sacrifices. You know, it's not an easy thing to respond to the call of God in your life. I think when I was younger, I, I you know, you're just naive. You don't know what you're doing. Yes, we're going to serve Jesus. We'll go anywhere. We'll do anything. And then you go somewhere and you start doing it. You're just like, okay, this is really hard. <laughs> and then you read Matthew chapter 11 and Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. My, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And now you've got to reconcile with, okay, if this is really hard, then how much of the burden am I really carrying? And how much, is it, how much of it should Jesus be carrying? And I should give it to him and let him carry it and just be along for the ride and allow him to get the glory. But over, and again, too, you go through things, you go through lessons, you go through some painful things. But I've, I've found that many times it separates those who either want to continue to walk with the Lord and be devoted to Him. And again, too, I'm talking about whether you're called to ministry or whether you're just simply called to walk with the Lord. Or whether or not, maybe like in the parable of the sower, the cares of this, rich, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches chokes out that work. You have to have a passion there has to be a fire that burns. And it's the same in relationships. Those of you that have been married for any period of time, you know, you know, you begin just this honeymoon, this dating, this infatuation, this love, and there's this passion that's there. And then you get married. And I've seen it happen with married couples. 
I'm not saying it's happened with us because I still have a passion for my wife that God has given me. I, I love being with her. I love, you know, if I didn't have any other friendships or relationships, and don't take this the wrong way because sometimes people get hurt or wounded by me saying this, but if I didn't have anybody else as a friend and just had my wife, I'd be happy. You guys are all icing on the cake, but she's the cake. You know, I still have a passion, and she still has a passion for me. And I find that so many times in relationships, as you age, things mellow, the passion, the fire is quenched, and it's just not there. And, and maybe you're still together, you're going through the motions of it. But again, too, to me, there, there's a lot of parallels between the relationships that we have and the relationship that God wants to have with us. And the difference, and I found, too, in order for a fire to burn, it has to have two things. Something that it will consume, whether it's wood or whether it's hay or something that is consumable. And it needs oxygen. That's the second thing. If it's deprived of either one, the fire will go out. And I think it's no accident that in the Scripture, those things that were offered to God were consumed on a fire, on an altar. And I think in the same way that the Scripture then uses that as an example of things that are fully devoted to God. Again, too, once it's been consumed, then, then there, there's nothing you can do with something that has been consumed. Can you? you can't take the ashes and say, well, I'm going to use this for something, or make a stew out of this. Or, or you know, again, too, you've, whether you've roasted a, a lamb or whether you've roasted beef on the, and it's been consumed by the fires, you know, you can't, it, it's fully devoted to God, and that's the way it's intended to be. In Romans chapter 12, though, the Apostle Paul says the same thing about us as believers. That we're to be, in a sense, wholly devoted unto the Lord as living sacrifice. Present yourselves, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. See, that's what Jesus did for me. That's what he did for you. He went to the cross and he was willing in a sense, to be completely consumed, committed, and to suffer the price for our sins so that a relationship with Him could be restored, a love relationship that God initiated. And in the same way, once that is accomplished, or once, and I see that, once a life has been completely burned and dedicated to the Lord, there's nothing left and it's time for us to go home to be with the Lord. I love examples for me. I love examples of godly men and women that have served the Lord all their lives. That it wasn't limited to a, you know, when I hit retirement age, now I'm going to retire from the ministry. Or if I win the lottery, chick, the pastor over at Calvary St. Paul, he jokingly says this. Because again, too, it's a joke. If you know him, he just loves the Lord. He, he's going to serve the Lord to his dying day. But he, from time to time, will joke, yeah, if I ever win the lottery, then I don't have to pastor anymore. And again, he just says that as a joke because there's no amount of money that you could have in a bank account that now I don't have to work anymore. Now I'm going to continue to serve the Lord. There's a passion. I, I say that too because again, from time to time I see those 
that begin and that they have that heart for God initially. But it's something that God wants to continue to do. And if there is a quenching of the Spirit, if you're no longer, in a sense, devoted to be consumed by the work or the fire that the Spirit of God is wanting to do in your life. I love the expression of fire in your belly. Have you ever hear that? Because I think about, again, too, you do it because you have this fire burning in you to do it. And it's not something that ever, with the passing of time or even whatever circumstances, is ever quenched. Quench not the Spirit. Despise not prophesying. Again, why does this even need to be said? Why would Paul even put that in there to a church? And I think it's important to just simply define what prophesying is. And I just put it very simply. Prophesying is the speaking forth of God's Word. I think a lot of times we think of prophesying as telling the future. And that's an element of prophesying, but that's not all that prophesying is. It's when God is saying something, that is prophesying. If God is saying that one empire is going to rise and another is going to fall, read the book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel. You know, when God says that the judgment of this world is coming, that's prophetic. When you begin to see the signs that fulfill that, that is prophetic. But again, too, it's not just what the future is, but is what does God's word say? And that's what's pro- that's what prophecy is and so why would you have to say despise not prophesying because I think at times God's word can be abused and there are those that then you know what we don't we don't believe the spirit of God or the exercise of spiritual gifts is for today there are churches that have taken this position this theological position that the working of the Holy Spirit has ceased and I get to it's interesting to me because this passage, and there are other passages that, that address this, but this passage alone just simply says, quench not the Spirit. That means the Spirit of God is still wanting to work. And they'll use reasoning like this. Well, you know, the early church needed the, the working of the Holy Spirit in a miraculous way because, again, too, it was just getting started. But now that the, the church has been established as an institution and, and now that we've got seminaries where people can be educated and, and properly interpret the Scripture, we don't need those things anymore. And now that, you know, once the last apostle died, the Spirit of God ceased to work in that miraculous way. That is the, 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 the misguided understanding or belief that the Spirit of God has stopped working in a supernatural way, but God is still working. And He's still wanting His Word to be communicated. The Old Testament is a testimony of that because even then when Moses had come down from the mount, what did he have? The two tablets. He had the commandments for God's people to follow. And yet throughout Israel's history until the coming of Jesus, there were constantly prophets that were rising up to communicate to not only God's people, but many times to those that were leading God's people to the kings, what God's will was. And it always agreed with His Word. It always, many times, is just a pointing back to the commands that God had already given. But He uses those prophets to communicate His Word. And when it says, despise not prophesying, 
I think we need to be open to God still wanting to communicate to us through His Word. I already mentioned, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 29 to 33. You can refer to that. But also, too, Paul mentions at the beginning of the chapter, he says, follow after love and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. For he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God, for no man understands him. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaks mystery. But he that prophesies speaks unto men, and this is what prophecy should do, to edification, exhortation, and comfort. He that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself, but he that prophesies edifies the church. I would that you spake with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. For greater is he that prophesies than he that speaks with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Churches have done a disservice to get away from the teaching of God's Word. I mean, the purpose of God's Word is for building people up. And again, too, people are lazy. Christians are lazy. We're looking for a spiritual experience, right? We want to feel all warm and tingly and goosebumps and oil running down my face. Are these different things that people think are, again, too, many times they are the working of God's Spirit. But a spiritual experience isn't something that, again, too, many times you need when you're going through a trial or you need to counsel someone or to comfort someone. You can go back to something that is solid, and it's the Word of God. And again, too, Paul is saying, or God's Word is saying, is that it's the Word of God that builds the church. But again, so many churches have gotten away from the teaching of God's Word. And he says, then, prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. Again, too, not taking for granted that just because someone says, thus says the Lord, that you should accept what they have to say, or even anything that I have to say. I appreciate it when, again, too, you take what I have to say and you run it through what God's Word already says. And I love, again, too, that when... for a believer or for a body of believers that are well-read in the Scripture, hopefully you're in God's Word on a daily basis and you come to church on Sunday or Wednesday and this is just icing on the cake for you because God is already at work using His Word. But there is, a, again, to, uh, to be a testing of, of what it, the Spirit of God says or even what someone says the Word of God says. And it says, prove all things. Um, in the NIV, it says, test everything and hold on to the good. And Jesus warns against false prophets. Again, how many churches even tell you about that anymore? Because now in the church today, and I'll, I'll talk about the Christian church, you know, it's just like, well, everybody, you know, we're, let's not fight or divide. Let's unite and, and let's put aside anything that would divide us or any differences. And even if it's false teaching, people are wanting to come together. And yet Jesus warns against the false prophets in Matthew chapter 7. He says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. 
You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? So every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. I already mentioned the importance of testing the Scripture, being Bereans, Acts chapter 17, verses 10 and 11. Jesus commends those of Berea, and He says in verse 11 that they were more noble than those of Thessalonica because they received the Word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scripture daily to see whether or not those things were so. They wanted to hear what God's Word said, but they didn't just simply take it for granted that it was true. And again, too, how did they test it? How did they prove it? They searched the Scripture to see whether or not it was so. I mean, how many times people say things or even teach things and you even go to that place where, well, does the Scripture agree with that? Because you should. Otherwise, you could be accepting unknowingly but just as simply accepting some false teaching. And then you incorporate it into your beliefs, and it's not something that derails your faith right away, but left unchecked runs its course, and then you're not walking with the Lord anymore because, again, you have some false teaching that's been introduced. John says in his epistle to try the spirits. Again, to under the heading of proving and testing and hanging on to that which is good. John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that should come, and even now already is in the world. I mean, there's so many churches that deny that Jesus Christ has actually come, the Son of God, in a physical way, that He's come in the flesh. I already mentioned 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 29, Let the prophets speak and let the others judge. There is to be a proving and a testing of all things. Verse 22, abstain from the appearance of evil. I'm not going to get to that. I want to give it more time. So I took up all my time on quench not the spirit. So let's close in a word of prayer when we pick up next time. And I'm pretty sure we'll get through the rest of the chapter next time, but I'm not even going to say that anymore. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we're so grateful for the working of your Spirit in our lives. Lord, for the, the truth that your Word has. And Lord, that we would treasure your Word. We would treasure the working of your Spirit, not only in our lives, but in our midst as a church. Lord, that we wouldn't be guilty of quenching your Spirit. Lord, that we would in our hearts despise, Lord, your Word. But Lord, that we would follow the things that your word tells us to do. And we know, Lord, that we're on solid ground. That when the storms beat, we weather the storm, Lord. We love you and I ask your blessing upon your people. 
Lord, and if there is a, a need, Lord, that the, the fallow ground be broken up or that the, uh, the fire needs to be rekindled, then we pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would do that work once again in our hearts. Lord, burn with a passion in our hearts, Lord, for you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.